All right, take it easy. Uh, at least you still get a Randy this morning, right? All right. That's not, I guess, the only reason I'm up here, but that might be good enough. Who knows? <laughs> Great. Well, good morning. Nice to be here with all of you today. Um, thanks, as was said, for coming out in the snow, but we're kind of used to that, aren't we, at this point? You know, as I was uh, thinking about this message and what to share with you guys and that, I started to think about this last fall, and for me, I've spoken to a few of you, uh, you know the kind of work I do. It involves a lot of traveling, and so I travel overseas a lot, and I work with organizations, helping them and churches get involved in international missions and, and that sort of thing. So I had six trips, most of them overseas, in seven weeks in October and November, and I got back from a time like that, and you know, it was hardly any space between any of them. And my wife, Shelly, I was talking to her, and I'm just like, I don't even know where to start <laughs> with everything that just went on in these last six weeks. It was just mind-boggling and took a lot of time to unpack that. And some of our folks that went to Argentina just this last January, I think, had a similar experience as well. Some of them might be in the room here, where just so much happened in the course of a couple of weeks or so, and it was really hard to just kind of get your head around when somebody asked me, so what was it like or what took place? You just don't even know where to begin, you know? Well, I feel like that this morning as well. You know, this is a little different. I get a chance to speak in different churches and do this, but um, as I'm thinking about, hey, this is my tribe. These are my people. This is you know, my church, this is my portion of brothers and sisters in the family of God. And as I started to think about that, you know, my heart just kind of starts brimming and overflowing. Like, I got a lot of stuff I want to tell you guys, you know, and would love to sh share with you guys. But I do have to narrow it down. We, we got some time constraints here in what it would look like. So I started thinking, what are some and what could be some of the largest things on my heart that all that I've even experienced in the last few months or so and everything that God's bringing to me at this moment. You know, honestly, as we were worshiping this, this morning, some of my heart just kind of goes there to that place. Pastor Randy says this a lot too, right? You know, in the times of worship, it just kind of drives us to this place of making connection with this Lord of the universe, with this Jesus Christ. And who he is and fortunately this morning that's exactly where I want to steer us to this morning who this Jesus is as the King Jesus the King worthy of worship worthy of all of our praise of everything that we would ever have to give but I'm also hoping this morning to touch another aspect of Jesus because this same Jesus walked this earth. And there is much said about what he did and what he said when he was on this earth. So I want to give us something to go home with as well because Jesus is not only, that would be enough, you know, that he is the king of the universe, but he's also this example and gave us a way to live out communion and life with the Father. Amazingly, he's both. 
So I want to give us both here this morning in the time that we have, okay? So, you know, when we think about Jesus and him being our example and all of that, I think it's appropriate, absolutely, to go to the beginning. And the passage we're going to look at in Colossians definitely takes us there. But to understand God, to understand Jesus, is to understand him, as I just said, as king over a kingdom, as a lord over a reign. Those are totally appropriate ways to understand who he is. And thank goodness, even us in the age of the church as Christians that walk in this way of what we call the church and faith and belief in Jesus Christ, we can even look to our predecessors, if you will, the Jewish nation, the people, the children of Israel, because they had a similar understanding, which kind of tells us this is not a new thing. We're on the right track of understanding Jesus as a king over a kingdom. They thought of this in terms of when they looked at the creation, when they looked at Genesis, when they looked at what was happening in the creative works of God back there in their scriptures, which we call the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, there's a really cool passage. It's not going to be on the screen, but 1 Chronicles 29.11 says this. The occasion, first of all, was the dedication of the temple, and King David is handing over the reins to his son Solomon to construct, to make, and, and ultimately dedicate this temple. And this is part of David's speech as he's doing that. Kind of gives you a picture into the children of Israel. He said, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Keep that in mind as we launch into this passage in Colossians chapter 1 now, which sounds very similar and with good reason. Let's put that up there. Colossians chapter 1, so let's read through these verses. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So as we pull this apart a little bit here in our first minutes together, 
I think it's a good understanding as we, and you can hear the similar, similar language, can't you? From the First Chronicles passage of this kingship, this lordship, reigning over everything, all of that. And Paul, the author of Colossians, of this epistle to the church in Colossae, in modern-day Turkey, he is saying very similar things, and why not? Because he is a Jew himself. This is how he understood God the Father. But what's new is he's applying all of these same understandings to this man Jesus, who not a few years before was walking this very earth, and in his case, the very part of this earth that he lives in. And he's reflecting on this and saying, everything we believe about God the Father, we believe about Jesus. Jesus, and you might have heard this said sometimes, the Christ. You know, Christ is not Jesus' last name, in case you're wondering if, if that's how it works. When we're talking about Jesus being the Christ, we're saying the King. Christ is the Greek version of saying king, and it's what we've taken in English. Messiah is the Hebrew one. But here we see, and we see all throughout Colossians, Christ is this, Christ is that, he is that. We're saying the king. The Greek listener would have heard that and said, boom, king. That's who we're talking about here. King in the same terms that First Chronicles talked about. So we see it here in this passage, and let's look at it. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He created before anything was created. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So let's look at that last part there. He existed before anything was created. We believe in a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a Holy Trinity, a three-part Godhead, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying this here. He's saying he was pre-existent with the Father before creation even happened in a Trinitarian sense. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That Jesus existed before anything was created. And so he's supreme over all creation. But then we see here as well in the next verse, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. So interestingly here, as we go back to the beginning of verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God creating things that we can see and can't see. So we have a visible and invisible God, an invi a visible and invisible Jesus. Now, for us now, none of us have ever seen God. None of us have ever seen the man Jesus Christ. But that wasn't always the case. This is what we believe. There was a visible appearance, more than an appearance, a visible walking out of God himself in the man Jesus Christ for 33 plus years on this earth. So he's saying there was a, a visible idea of God, but also an invisible idea of God. And creation as well. 
there are things in creation that we see, and we tend to believe them, that I'm standing here in front of you, that you're sitting on a chair that's real, that this body you're walking around in and seeing out of and smelling and tasting and feeling. and We believe the stuff we can see, the visible, everything around us. But there is and there are invisible parts to the creation as well, too. Things that we can't see. Paul talks about them here in the uh, next part of the verse. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. He's saying here that all of this, whether you see it or not, and this has a lot to do with our understanding of what God is about out there and where and where and what we think will happen after we're done here. We believe and we trust our very existence to this very God in this way that created through him, him, Jesus, was the creator, and for him. Both those things are saying something. Through him, saying that Jesus is one with the Father in his creation in making this earth, in creating it, in creating all things. And for him is the part where we say he's the king. He's the Christ. Okay? Now, what's important to remember in here is you see this language that keeps saying everything. Nothing else was made without him. And we might be thinking in terms there of, well, he's talking about all the inanimate stuff in the world. Maybe the animals, too, and that sort of thing. But this everything is all-encompassing. It means us as well. It means humanity. It means what Genesis 1, 27, 28 says, where he made male and female in his image. Every one of us in this room created in the image of God, created by the same one who is the one we worship as our king as well. Pretty amazing. But what I would also remind you is that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father, the Trinity that we believe in, were all part of this creative act. They existed before the creation as well. And this Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit lived is what we believe in perfect harmony and community and relationship for all ages pre-creation as well. Now get this. All the other creation was created, but the only, it's only male and female, only us as human beings, that the Bible tells us were created in the image of God. The image of God being that Trinitarian image that needs community, that thrives on community, that needs relationship. I don't want you to miss that in this creative thing and just thinking that's just kind of an inanimate creation that we're talking about here. We're talking here about our very need for relationships with each other. Our very need to be a part of the church. Our very need to be in relationship Jesus himself, with God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and with each other. We were created for this. 
This is what we're about. None of us were meant to live individual lives apart from each other and apart from the one that created us. Just one more word on that as we see in verse 17. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. So if we didn't have enough to pack our brains with about Jesus being this king, also creator, overall a creation, he didn't just do it however many years ago you want to believe it happened or whatever it was. We know it happened. We're here. So it took place. But it says as well that the very reason everything still is going and moving is because Jesus is holding it all together. He's the sustainer of all creation as well. Otherwise, all the molecules, all the atoms, everything that holds everything from our own bodies together to the chairs you're sitting on, to this building, to the earth we walk on, to all of the universe, the reason that all of this is not just spinning out of control is because Jesus is holding it together. He's still doing the same creating that he did at one time. We could talk about what that means for some of the artists among us and stuff. You guys are made in that same image as well. And all of us have some amount of appreciation for that beauty that that brings because it's a direct reflection of this God that we serve, of this Jesus who we believe in. So we say here as well, and we read in verse 18, that Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Now, this almost seems like, what? Why are you taking that slant all of a sudden here? We're talking about all this incredibly unbelievable stuff about Jesus as the creator and the king and holding everything together and stuff, and now you're going to talk about the church? That he's head of the church? Yeah. I think what it says to us and what it indicates to us is that Paul had an incredible high regard for who the body of Christ is. More on this in a little bit. But at least for now, think about the fact that after talking about the biggest things he could possibly talk about in relation to who Jesus is, the next thing out of his mouth is something about the church, is something about us, about who we are in relation to the same Jesus, the same Christ. If we had time this morning, I'd love, you to, I'd love to bounce around through Ephesians. And Randy's actually done some of that in the last few months or so in going through some of what the book of Ephesians said, also written by Paul, about us being the body of Christ, being the bride of Christ, this mysterious plan through all the ages, this household, this family of brothers and sisters. And he's speaking of it, yes, in terms of Bruce City Church right here under this roof, right here in this building, but he's also saying it in terms of a global body as well, that it matters how we care for our friends in Argentina, how we care for other parts of the body of Christ right down the street here in Milwaukee. We all matter to him. We are all part of this church that Jesus says he is the head of. 
Christ is also, or he is the beginning, second part of 18, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Now there's an interesting twist. What is this talking about here? Why all of a sudden is Paul deciding he's first in this idea as well? First in this idea of the resurrection. Now, those of you that know some of your scriptures would, would say to me when it says that Christ was the first one to come back from the dead, you might say, if, when you put it that way, well, what about some of the guys that Jesus raised from the dead, like Lazarus and some of these other ones like that? Well, they all eventually died anyway, didn't they? <laughs> they died again. They didn't stay alive. Jesus is the only one came back from the dead permanently, still lives today, the only one. But his death, his resurrection, particularly, has some significance, and that's why Paul mentions it here, because he is first in everything. Jesus' resurrection was the first act of a renewal of the very creation that he made himself. The resurrection was the first act, the first part of understanding that God is making all things new again. And he did it in Jesus himself. Jesus was the first. Sometimes you'll see first fruits of that, of that which was with which is to come in the future, okay? So that's what he's getting at here, this renewal of creation itself, which interestingly, obviously was needed. Paul doesn't mention anything here that sin and evil entered the world, but he's saying there was a renewal that needed to happen and that Christ was performing, was doing through his resurrection, this renewal of all things in creation. So, what does it say right after that? For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. He wants us not to forget that. Everything that God is was present in Jesus. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. He reconciled, he renewed everything. So the king is king over his kingdom. He re he's renewing his kingdom, renewing everything in his creation. Think of it back in the book of Genesis. You'll see as the different days of the week go along and different parts of creation are made, the author says there, and it was evening and it was morning, the first day or the second day or whichever one we're talking about, and it was what? Good. It was good. Okay? Everything that God created, including us, right at the end of the creation narrative story, he said was good. All right? The goodness somehow went away. And we can see that a few chapters later in Genesis when sin, when evil entered this world and things were not good, not what they were meant to be anymore. This is what Jesus was doing again through his resurrection. 
reconciling, renewing everything, making everything good again. He says it another way as well, too. Interesting here, and you might just run past it. I used to run right past this. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. Now, when we see a word like peace there, we can't just think in like small terms. I mean, we love to use the word peace and, you know, back to the 60s and stuff, you know, peace man and, and all that sort of thing. And, and we're just talking, you know, about everything's cool, everything's nice, that sort of thing. Peace here, and what Paul is using here is he's referring to a different word, which he knows from his Hebrew upbringing, his Jewish upbringing. You know what that word is? Anybody heard shalom? That's what this word is here. That's the word he's referring to here. As a matter of fact, almost every one of Paul's epistles he writes starts with a line very early on in the epistle, in the letter, that says, grace and peace to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is the Greek part of the greeting that he's giving. Peace, that he says, is the Hebrew part. Shalom. So when he says peace here, he's not talking just kind of minimalistically about some sort of peace or, you know, a brother and sister getting along in the backseat of the car or something like that. He's talking about peace in the biggest terms possible in terms of what God ultimately is going to do. That we see at the end of the book of Revelation, that we see Isaiah prophesying towards this idea that one day God will make everything the way it's supposed to be again. That's what he says he did in Jesus. He, and I decided I'm making a verb of this, he shalomed it. <laughs> All right? I don't know if there's any Hebrew scholars here that don't like that, but can talk to me later. It works for me. He shalomed it. He shalomed everything, is what Jesus did. The last part, how did he do this? By means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, made peace with everything in heaven and on earth, and then all of a sudden, we've been talking kind of in the heavens and in the you know, large ethereal sort of language sort of thing. And then all of a sudden here it gets really earthy by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And it's like, wow. He slams it right into this historical event that every one of his listeners know exactly and some of them even remember because they might have been there what this was about. He says that event, what happened there, Christ's blood on the Christ, did this. What did it do? It did all of this, recreating, reconciling, redeeming, shaloming, everything that Jesus did in making things, all things new again, he did through the cross. Now, we think of this as one time and one time event, but the truth is, and there's a term for this, all of Jesus' life was characterized. It wasn't by what he did on the cross. It wasn't like a singular event that was uncharacteristic of everything else Jesus did. He was a self-sacrificing, self-giving 
of everything he was type of person. His very incarnation of coming from heaven to earth showed that right from the get-go. The term that uh, scholars will use a lot of time for this is that Jesus lived a cruciformed life. He lived a life that was characterized by the act of going to the cross, of sacrificing himself. That was what his entire life was about. And we need to look at this in the same way. Christ's blood on the cross. We look at what Jesus did on the cross, we look at his entire life approaching the cross, not to mention, we already talked about the resurrection and victory over the death that Jesus was a part of. So, all this sounds great. The creation's made good. The cross did this. Jesus' resurrection, he's king. He's the first resurrected. He even throws in this idea that he's head of the church. All of this sounds really good. The creation is back to what it should be again, right? And we sit here this morning and say, I don't see it. Creation doesn't look all back to right for me. Why is there human trafficking in this world? Why is there calamity upon calamity? Why is there things such as global warming? Why is there strife in my family? Why is there strife in my body? Why do I have illness? Why do I have disease? Why did I just go to a funeral yesterday? There's obviously some things that Jesus did that he's still doing. But the scripture obviously tells us, and as we look towards the end of it in Revelation, and as Isaiah and others of the prophets look forward to it, they said one day this will all be taken care of. There will be no more death. There will be no more illness. There will be no more natural disasters and calamities in this world. All of this will be taken care of. All of this will be shalomed. It will. The thing of it is, there's something for us that he has for each one of us to do in the meantime here. Jesus' work and his continuance of what he did was shown to us by his example of how we are to live in this world as well. You know, we, we talked about Christ the King, check. We talked about a little bit about the church, well, but maybe there's more to do with that. And we talked about this kind of mission, this reconciling, redemptive work that Jesus did, which has been done, but it's not yet complete. And it leads us to the next passage that we need to leave here today with, I think. In Matthew chapter 9, 35 to 38. So let's just take a moment to read through this one. Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news of the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest 
ask him to send out more workers into his fields. Passages like this, I like to call kind of a synopsis passage. When you start scanning through and looking through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus did a lot of stuff, right? He said a lot of things, he did a lot of things, and then you'll come up to a passage like this in Matthew chapter 9, and it's almost like the author saying, yeah, he did all of this. Okay, to sum it up, he traveled all over the place, he taught, he announced the good news about the kingdom, he healed every kind of disease and illness, he, he's kind of summing things up. This was the life Jesus lived. This is what it looked like most of the time. This is what Jesus was doing when he was out there. Okay? The important thing about taking what the author says here of the Gospel of Matthew is he's also trying to say we should be doing the same thing. And why would I think that? Because if we look just another chapter past this, as he's saying this to his disciples, soon to be known as the Apostles, he sent them out in Matthew chapter 10, I think it's verse 7, and he said he sent them out to travel to all the towns and villages of that area to teach in synagogues, announce the good news of the kingdom, and heal every kind of disease and illness. He modeled for them and then sent them to do the same thing that they would ultimately, as they became the founders of the church, of which we sit as a part of today, he was drawing a line, a chain reaction to every single one of us here today to say the life of Jesus is the way to live out what God is doing in this world. As a matter of fact, lest you think it's not that, the very first Christians were not called Christians. They were called people of the way, the way of Jesus. What's the way of Jesus? It's right there. That, in a nutshell, was the way of Jesus. So how can we package it for ourselves, just so we have something in our minds? We have a great image of this creator king in God, who somehow is also giving us instruction to how to live and partner with him in this same kingdom that he's reigning over. And what does he say? He says, I traveled. Now what does that mean? It means it took effort. I had to get up. I had to move. I couldn't stay where I was comfortable. I had to get out of my house. I had to go see people. I had to go where the people were. Jesus had to do that. And he's telling the apostles, you have to do that too. And eventually, what is the apostles telling us? What is Jesus telling us? The same thing. You have to make effort. It's not going to come to you. I mean, if anyone could sit in one spot and say, bring all your needs to me because I have the power to help you, it would have been Jesus, right? But did he do that? He went. He traveled. And the author here in Matthew makes note of that. What else did he do? He taught and he announced and he healed. And the good news, that word is gospel, the good news of the kingdom is both. 
Let's forget about any of the arguments and things like that. Is the gospel only something you say, or is it also be something you do? The answer is yes. It's always both. Why? Because the way of Jesus, it was always both. He never did anything without saying something about why he was doing it, and he never said anything without doing for something for someone after he said it. It was always both for him. The way of Jesus is both, and that's what we see here as well. He's, let's move on to the next part of the verse. He traveled, he got up, he taught and announced and healed, he saw and he had compassion. He saw and he had compassion. The two of these things are connected. Make no mistake. Okay? When you go out, and many of you have experienced this, there's something very different than watching what needs are in somebody from a TV screen or over the phone or in a, a commercial or an ad on YouTube or something like that. Those things do something. And even someone else telling us, Man, you have to go and experience this with me. When you see it with your own eyes, it's a game changer. It always is. I know this from my own ministry and work and taking people overseas. They are not the same after they've done that. They're not the same when you go and actually serve in a place for homeless folks or a soup kitchen or, or something like that. It's different. And compassion, if you're wondering, where is my motivation to just get up and go and do this that the first part was about, you need to see it. You need to see it. You need to experience it with your own eyes. We need to be out there. And then the last part, we need to pray and ask. The harvest is great. Workers are few. So what? Get out there and do it? Yes, but also what? Pray to the Lord as in charge of the harvest. And then ask your friends to do it? Yes, but ask him to send out more workers into his fields. Your motivation is going to come by the Holy Spirit, and so as your friends as well. As you ask, as you encourage, as you challenge others to get up, to use both sides of the gospel, to do it, to say it, to get out there and have compassion, you also need to continue to pray and ask for more people to go into God's mission fields. And I'm not just talking about selling everything and going to Africa stuff. That's not what this is about. Our mission and what God's called us to is right around every one of us. It's right outside the walls of this building. Sometimes it walks right into this building. This is what our mission is. But it's all of it. Acts 1.8, Jesus told us, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, that means home, right outside your doors, Samaria, people that are quite a bit different from you but are close, and the ends of the earth. We got that too. So all of this is part of what he's challenging us to do. So when we look at Jesus, we see someone who is the Christ, the King, 
But the question comes to us, what about his kingdom? Who's continuing to work on that? We see the head of the church is there. Jesus is that. He is the head of the body of Christ. But the question becomes, what about his body? What about this bride? What about this mysterious group of people that he's called together, that call themselves brothers and sisters in the family of God? Is this just all cute language? Or does he really mean it? That we're together for a reason. That we exist for a reason. And then lastly, what about this missio dei? This God of mission, in other words. What about him? Was he one that is doing, has done, and will do all he can? Absolutely. Has he been from the beginning? He has. But what he's saying to us is, what about all of you? I'm a God of mission. I made you as people that need each other, that are people of relationship and community in the church, people that are made to worship and adore me, and people that are out there in the same way of Jesus on mission the way I was. Jesus was sent by the Father, and so he sends us in the same way. Sometimes we might think that does it all do any good, especially in light of the fact that we have this understanding that Jesus is going to one day take care of it all. And so we wonder, what does what I'm doing now have to do with anything? I think the author and speaker, N.T. Wright, says it really well. I just want to read this quote for you as we close. What you do in the Lord is not in vain. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become, in due course, part of God's new world, his new creation. Every act of love, gratitude, and ki- <coughs> excuse me, kindness, Every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures, and of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. What you do today matters. And God in his indescribable wisdom and creativity will weave every one of those things you do into that beautiful thing that Jesus died for, was resurrected for, that has us in the world for. That's what he's got us here for today. He's our king, but he showed us 
an example. Let's live in the way of Jesus. I pray, God, this morning that this challenge would just speak into our hearts. I thank you that you are a God who sent your Son into this world, who was a part of creating this whole world to begin with and doing everything to recreate it and is asking us now, not because some way you have to have us or need us, but you want us. You created us. And you created us like yourself. People to be on mission and people that need each other. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the mission you've given us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand and worship this Jesus. He is our king. He is our, our example. And if this morning something's touching your heart, you need prayer, there are people at the back that would love to do that with you. So please take advantage.